Are you one of our regular students for Self-Improvement Wednesday? Each week you get to learn something new. Your lesson this week, a focus on the fabulous fig. Your teacher is Professor Brett Summerall, Chief Scientist and Director of Science, Education and Conservation, Royal Botanic Gardens and the Domain Trust, Sydney. That's Self-Improvement. Brett, good afternoon. Hello, Richard. How are you? Yeah, the fig tree. And we're going to talk about the, this mysterious connection or mythic connection between human beings and figs. But, but let's start with the extent of it. There's about 850 different species, right? Yeah, found right, mostly found through the, the Mediterranean regions and then down into Africa, but really um, lots of different species across um, Southeast Asia, um, in, through India and the, the subcontinent. And within Australia, we've got a whole bunch of, um, of fig species as well. But the one we really know well is, is Ficus carica, which is the domestic fig, which was originated in the Middle East and in the Mediterranean region. And has been feeding humans for a long time. This is one of the interesting things about figs. They're important in religion, which we'll get to. But, but the uh, the consumption by humans might go back ten, you know, to ten thousand BC. Yes, yeah. There's lots of historical and archaeological uh, references to figs, and if you if you see the fruit and the and the leaves and the and the wood, you you'll know that they're quite distinctive and and really easy to identify, particularly in archaeological digs. And you can see the seeds and the grainy seeds either when being pooped out or when when it's been prepared for eating. So it's one of those species that fruits regularly. It's really hardy. Uh, you get lots of fruit off it. So it's been feeding humans for, as you say, ten, twelve. Thousand years? Mm-hmm. Who knows? Okay, it's longer. Uh, well, it's even in the Bible, isn't it? Of course, Garden of Eden. Yes, yes, absolutely. So, um, of course, fig leaves are, re- are very prominent in Genesis, and were used by Adam and Eve to to protect their modesty, as mm-hmm. we as they say. Uh, um, but yeah, but found in a lot of different religions. It's really important in um, Hindu and and Buddhist religions throughout the the uh, um, Indian region. And the Ficus religiosa, the Bodhi tree, is probably the most well known, and that was. Um, often used by uh, athletes for, um, you know, meditating under. And, of course, it's most prominently known as the tree on which um, Buddha sat and gained enlightenment. So through all sorts of different religions, all sorts of different cultural histories, it's been uh, talked about quite a lot. Mm. Here too with Indigenous Australians, of course. Yes, yes. So um, it does... Um, prominently feature in a, in a whole range of Indigenous cuisines, um, whether it's the figs itself. You know, I've been to some bush tucker events where we've eaten the shoots and the, the young leaves of the of the Moreton Bay fig. But a whole range of different species are used. Um, some are better than others. Sandpaper figs, which grow quite reasonably well in, in throughout the Sydney region, are much sweeter and, and quite a really nice taste. And, of course, the leaves, as the name implies, are like sandpaper, and you can use them for exactly the same purpose for, you know... Just polishing something up or, or grinding it down. So, fantastic tree. Uh, as in elsewhere, there's lots of different species from like a huge strangler figs to, to smaller plants. Yeah, yeah. So, there's lots of different species. Right down the eastern eastern coast of Australia, there's what we see is the big, huge um, banyans or strangler figs, and we'll talk a little bit more about those in a little in a moment. But you know, they're huge trees, really, really important. But even when you get out into the, the harshest environments, whether it's out in Uluru or Central Australia or wherever, there's these small trees that cling in rocky um, places. You'll see them on the the the, um, the cliffs of Catherine Gorge and places like that. And we're still describing and, and discovering. 
um, well, rediscovering, I suppose, uh, the, some of these species. And we just described a new species, um, Ficus desertorum, um, last year. But they're really important trees in the environment, uh, food source for lots and lots of different species because they're producing fruit regularly. And because there's, many of them are so large, they have lots of hollows and, and really provide fantastic habitat for a range of different birds and possums and all of these sorts of creatures. And, you know, even if you look at the, the big figs in, in the gardens or in Centennial Park, you quite often you'll find ringtail possums and even powerful owls in those trees. There, there is a connection between the botanic gardens and all the figs in Sydney, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. So two of the early directors of the of the gardens and and Centennial Park, so Joseph Maiden and and Charles Moore, really promoted the use of figs. They'd been done some field work and and exploring up through the north coast and up into Queensland and discovered a whole range of different species of figs. And so they promoted and brought back the seed, grew them up, and so all through some of the older parts of Sydney, in particular, you'll see Moreton Bay figs and Port Jackson figs and white figs and a whole range of different species that are just you know spectacular spectacular trees uh, in, in our landscape, in, in the parks and gardens. They're very big trees, and if they get into your pipes and your sewers, they can cause all sorts of problems. They're beloved by everybody except for the city's plumbers. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> I right. I mentioned the strangler figs. They, they are so such an extraordinary idea, isn't it? The way that they, they sort of start with a drop seed in the canopy and then take over. Yeah, that's a spectacular adaptation that they have. So the, obviously the fruit is loved by birds, so they'll um, eat the fruit, poop out the seed, and usually it's at the top of the canopy, and one of those will lodge in a little nook in the tree and then germinate and live most of its early life as what we call an epiphyte, so a plant that's growing up in the, up in the canopy, and then slowly spread its roots down the tree. And over a period of time, it effectively takes over the whole of the tree and, and, and basically cannibalises it, if you want, using it as a, as a prop to, to get up to that good light, but growing down until its roots eventually hit the ground, have lots of these... Um, drop roots as they are that will come down and eventually just completely colonise. And there's a couple of um, examples in the gardens near the creek that are, are really lovely to look at and see how the plant has just absolutely completely um, colonised that their previous plant. And though you can see spectacular examples up in North Queensland. The curtain fig is, you know, the, the most prominent and well-known of these um, these types of figs. Yeah, it's a, it's a lovely word for it, isn't it, or name for it, because it has this huge curtain of, of, of aerial roots. Here's an interesting question. Can vegetarians eat figs? Yes. Now, this is really interesting because the whole pollination process for figs and how the fruit is produced is really quite unique and, and you know, almost bizarre in some ways. So the fig flowers are produced on something called a syconium. So it's like an inverted fruit, if you like. So when you look at it, it looks like a fruit, but the actual inside of the of the structure is where the flowers are. So you, the flowers are not exposed to the air at all from the outside. So wind, they can't be wind pollinated. They can't be pollinated by bees. So they're inside this fruit structure. And it has a small opening at the outer end of it that allows easy access to pollinators to go inside the, the, the flower if they're small enough. And so what they're pollinated by is these really super, super, super tiny wasps that crawl through the opening in in trying to find a suitable place to lay their eggs. Um, without this pollinator service, you don't get the, the fig trees producing the seed and the fruit. So a, a young fruit fig tree will produce both male figs, called capra figs, and female figs, 
um, which inside of them are, are the, the flowers. So the female wasps can crawl inside both the male and female figs to try and reproduce. They burrow inside it. If it gets into a male fig, the, the female wasp gets into a male fig, then it can lay its eggs. The conditions are perfect for it and eventually they'll hatch. The male wasps hatch first. And so they start digging and trying to create a burrow to get out of the out of the fig, and then the female um, uh, wasps will emerge. They mate, and so then the the um, female wasp can crawl out, fly out through that hole, and go about its business and, and generate the new the next cycle. But if the wasp burrows into a female fig, it can't do that. The conditions aren't right. But what it can do is pollinate it. So what you have in the the female fig in the fruit is not only the fruit structures and the plant produce, but you've got also all these dead wasps inside it. Um, they're tiny and probably, um, you know, by the time the fruit matures and they've dissolved away anyway, but it does raise an interesting conundrum. Is it is is a, is a fig fruit <laughs> suitable for a vegetarian or vegan? It's one of those things if you're, that, if to you're, think about. If you're really hardline, you, that's a, <laughs> we might yes. catch you on the technicality. Um, it is, though, may, mostly a, just a wonderful example of the symbiotic relationship that's, that's beneficial to, to both parties most of the time. Yes, yes. So without the wasps, the figs can't reproduce. They can't produce seed. They can't produce the fruit. Um, they can't produce the next generation. And without that spot for the wasps to lay its eggs, they can't go through their life cycle. So it's a wonderful case of um, you know evolution that's happening and co-evolution that's happening between the wasp and the fig. And what's really interesting is that each species of fig has its own species of wasp that pollinates. It does very rare that you get a crossover between different species of figs. So it's really a to that point. And I love the fact that you have these huge, big strangler figs that are really dependent on this wasp that's probably only a millimetre long. And it just ties in nicely about how important all creatures are in, in the whole cycle of evolution and, and establishing an ecosystem. Yeah, the symbiotic relationship between fig and wasp, but also between fig and human in everything from food to religion. Brett, thank you so much for the lesson. No worries, Richard, any time. There's Professor Brett Summerall. He's Chief Scientist at the Botanic Gardens here in Sydney with another Self-Improvement Wednesday. Of course, we'll put it online as usual if you want to uh, share it with a friend or listen to it again. It'll all be at abc.net.au slash sydney or you can just click on ABC Sydney Drive and you'll find us. Uh, Now, next week, Dr Evangelina Matsioris is Program Director of Nutrition and Food Sciences at the University of South Australia. She'll be our teacher on next week's Self-Improvement Wednesday.